Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Sober Speak. At Sober Speak, you will find podcasts of men and women sharing their experience centered around the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps of Recovery. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and I will be the host of this episode. Uh, consider this, uh, Sober Speak, if you will. Uh, your meeting between meetings. We're not really out to replace meetings, but we can uh, uh, supplement meetings uh, for when you can't get there. And I have my friend Gary C. here with me today, and I asked Gary to read something that's kind of uh, uh, special to him. He's picked something out of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, from page, what page is it from? 100. Page 100, and Gary's going to read this real quick. Okay, yeah, it's after out of uh, Chapter 7, Working with Others. Uh, both uh, you and the new man was, must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will pre- presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. That's a heck of a promise. Thank you, Gary. Um, we welcome all of your comments, and you can contact us in a couple of different ways. You can go to SoberSpeak.com and simply click on the Contact Us tab, or you can email us directly at feedback at SoberSpeak, that's all one word, dot com. Uh, we not only welcome your feedback, but highly encourage it. In fact, uh, um, we would like uh, to hear from you, uh, any sort of comments, uh, any sort of suggestions that you may have. Uh, I'll even take suggestions on somebody else who maybe, maybe should be, uh, suggest, excuse me, uh, someone that you may suggest that should be on the program. We can talk about that. Um, but uh, anyway, we look forward to hearing from you. Sober Speak is, a, is self-supporting through our own contributions. Uh, we are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization or institution we do not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorse nor oppose any causes please remember we do not speak for any 12-step community we represent only ourselves we are here to share our experience strength and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride take what you want leave the rest at the curb perfect thank you gary all right so we're going to dive right into this, uh, just so uh, everybody out there... Uh, oh, by the way, I did mean to say that uh, you can get... Uh, you can uh, access the Sober Speak po- podcast at uh, YouTube now as well. You can, uh, you can access them on uh, Alexa. Uh, believe it or not, you just go up to your Alexa and say, uh, Hey Alexa, play Sober Speak podcast, and it'll crank it right up. Uh, and then there's all the usual suspects like uh, iTunes and uh, Google Play and things of that nature. But nonetheless, all right. Uh, so I, I, I know Gary not real well. Uh, we, uh, we have a, a mutual friend who we both know very well, um, but uh, uh, I wanted to have Gary over, do the podcast here, and get to know Gary a little bit more. So, first of all, Gary, why don't you go ahead and give your sobriety date? It's December 27th, 1984. 
So that's a little while, Gary. That's yeah. that's, uh, that's fantastic. How many? Th- just help me with my math there. That's 30, 33. Thirty three. Thirty three. you were at. So we have we're we're uh, for those of you listening in faraway lands. We're here in the Dallas area. We have something called the Gathering of the Eagles. Why don't you tell folks what the Gathering of the Eagles is? I believe you went there yesterday, right? Yeah, I was just there. It was a, it's a conference. Um, I think Searcy was a big part of that or started it. Um, and for those who don't know who Searcy is, it's S-E-A-R-C-Y. Yeah, yeah. Searcy, right? S-E-A-R-C-Y. He was, I think, one of the really the founding members of the Gathering of the Eagles, if not the founding member. And he's a long-term, uh, kind of a Texas sober legend guy, you know, and he, he I think he started the White House group uh, in East Dallas, uh, well-respected. I actually was at his funeral. I think it was hmm. probably maybe 15 years ago, yeah. maybe 20 years ago. I'm not sure when it was exactly, but, uh, seriously, he was just a, you know, kind of an old school AA guy. He got to sit with guys like, uh, uh, I think Clifford W from, um, Olive Branch, Mississippi. I think it was Clifford, yeah, yeah. an old guy. And then of course, Bill, and he, you know, would meet our, and, and sit with and, and kind of learn the original culture of AA from, from, you know, the founding members. So it's, you know, Searcy goes way back. Yeah. And so why is it called the Gathering of the Eagles? Is the Eagles supposed to be kind of like sages, so to speak? (laughs) What is that? You know, I think the Eagles is, you know, uh, there was a lot of emphasis on the guys that were old timers. Yeah. And that's what it was. And I think they're, they're, um, uh, the, the, I'll just say it was that, that, you know, there's been some opinions about, you know, really we should be focusing on the newcomers and not the guys with all this sobriety, which I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. You know, there should be emphasis on the new guys, you know, and really pushing the newcomer. But somewhere along the way, um, you know, there was somebody that wanted that was passionate about recognizing long term sobriety wow. and how we stay together and what we're doing to stay sober with long term sobriety, too. Right. So having said that, you know, that's. My take on it. I understand. And so yeah. now, so you were there. I, I, did you give some sort of uh, talk? Yeah, I gave it. They're, they're, they give, um, they have zero to 10 years, but people that can share uh, 10 to 20, and then 20 to 30, and then 30 to 50 year, uh, uh, you know, people that are sober that long to share. So and you're like a newcomer on that end. Yeah, thing. exactly. Because <laughs> I only have 33 years, and there's guys with 40, 45, even a guy with 49 years. And then some other people that were all scattered through that. So it was, you know, uh, it was nice. You know, we, 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 it was like five minutes. Usually they do 10, but yeah. there were so many people that they cut it down to five minutes. Yeah, so did they give you a particular topic to focus on? Yeah, the on? topic was, you know, how we're using the steps to say in our life on a daily basis. Well, well let's how, talk about that on the podcast yeah, here then. Yeah, so, I mean, that's awesome. So yeah. can you give me, can you give us a rough sketch of what you talked about there during the, during yeah, the... Yeah, you know, it, as we were kind of talking about earlier, I... I tried to stay focused on what they were asking us to talk about, which it seems like an easy thing to do, but it's but from what my experience was yesterday and hearing some of the other people talk, they wanted to just go up and share in general about how their day was going or whatever and how their general sobriety has gone instead of really focusing on what they were asked to talk about, right. which was... How the steps, uh, how the steps are working in your life. Okay, well, let's talk about and that so, with you. So, if I were to yeah. ask you, in essence, you know, how are the so? Let's just let's think about a newcomer out there, right, who may be listening to this for. Um, 
What would you say, could you, I mean, kind of summarize that. How would you say the steps are working in your life? I know it's hard to wrap that up in a few minutes, but just in general, what comes to mind for you? I, I think that, you, and that, that answer to that question has changed. <laughs> I would have to go through a filter at certain times of my sobriety, but now, which is really the only thing that matters, is I think that just being useful, the, to, to keep my my thoughts uh, in the in kind of like our 10th step and 11th step talks about you know we turn we resolutely turn our thoughts to others right. when we're not always on the beam you know we call someone else and or we we talk to God and ask for forgiveness if necessary and we resolutely turn our thoughts to somebody that we can help so having said that mm. coupled with this new person it's like well, what am I here to do mm. so I was given this gift of the obsession being removed when I was on December 27th. I got on my knees and I said, God, if you're there, please help me. Many people have done that. I haven't had the obsession to drink since then. Now, that was a gift to me, I feel. So what am I going to do with that gift? So that gift has been to be available, to be helpful, to be um, there for the newcomer. And that's not always uh, convenient. And it's not always exciting, not always fun. Uh, so it's interesting yesterday, that being the topic of what does the steps look like in my life, I had to reflect on what my day looked like, just that day, which was yesterday. And the first thing I did, other than my usual morning stuff, you know, I said my, some prayers and I meditated for a few minutes. Um, I went and met a new guy who's got about 45 days at the IHOP in Terrell. <laughs> and we sat down and talked about where he was at with steps two and three. And we read some things. And of course we had our books at the table and people were walking by and you know, the books, the books, they're not extremely anonymous, even though they say anonymous on there. But so we were, you know, but you know, that's, um, that's what it's all about. I think I, I seem to be the most at peace and the most comfortable with myself when I'm working with somebody new. Right. And I'm certainly not, uh, an expert or or do it more than uh, uh, most people by any means but uh i pray to continue to be willing to help others right that yeah. makes sense yeah so i want to uh, touch on this a little bit i, I know that uh, i want to kind of go back in your history now right now we're talking about we were talking about yesterday and i want to go way back here now right yeah. uh, to where um I, I i believe you were an entertainer of sorts back in the day can yeah you know i started in the nightclub scene back in the uh gosh the early 80s actually 79 80 i was still in high school i had a fake id Southern California, and I started doing, uh, you know, 50s impersonations, mainly Jerry Lee Lewis. Well, wait, okay, so you're doing a Jerry Lee Lewis impersonation in 1980? Now, you were what, 18 uh, years old? I was old? 18. Okay. Yeah, I had a fake ID at 17, so I was 18 when I started doing that. Yeah, you so, know, yeah. And, and I'm sitting here looking at you now. I, you know, you have a, a resemblance to Jerry Lee Lewis. To, to I hope it was the younger one. Yeah, yeah, was it, the, yes. Was it the 80-year-old version, right? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. I'm just, you know, and even the way you cut yeah. your hair a little bit and right. stuff. So. Yeah. 
Um, so how do you how do you get in that business being a Jerry Lee Lewis impersonator? You know, it, I we, I started listening to the music and I love the music and, and this of course Sun Records the history of Elvis and Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash and uh, Roy Orbison and Jerry Lee Lewis those guys were like my musical heroes so I had another guy that really had the, kind of the same interests and and we started kind of auditioning and we'd go to nightclubs and I was trying to be an actor too. So I had an agent. And so, but to fill in the gaps at the, at night, you know, to, to make some money, I'd go enter talent contests, dance contests, impersonation contests. And I landed a permanent gig every weekend on Friday and Saturday night at a place called the hop. <laughs> the hop. Uh, actually the hop was the second place. The happy days. Happy. I know. Goes right in, falls right in with the show right, and also right. the fifties scene. But yeah. I was working for this guy named Jack Wade at a place called uh, Happy Days and and every Saturday night Wolfman Jack would come in there. Really? The like famous the DJ. Wolfman Absolutely. Jack? He got Jack Wade and paid Wolfman Jack to come in and spin records. For about two hours on a Saturday night. Was he famous at this oh, point? Yeah. I, oh I mean, yeah, I, I Wolfman can't. Jack goes back to the back to the fifties, so he was absolutely famous, and that was a big draw for the club. Yeah, because Wolfman Jack's going to be here. Yeah. So now there's I'm, a song about uh, there, there's a Wolfman song. I is there really? Sing. Yeah, yeah. There's a oh anyway, for, for, forgive me. Yeah, I'm I, not sure. I, you know, he was a legend. Great voice, of course. Great radio yeah. uh, personality for, for for many many years. And um, anyways, he would come in and. He would actually introduce us on Saturday nights, which was really, know, which was fun. You were introduced and, you know, by, by Wolfman, Wolfman Jack, Jack yeah, to do was, your Jerry, oh, yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis impersonation, and, and that was uh, that was probably I'm going to say 1981. What were you called? Just Jerry. We were just Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis. I, I did a okay. duet with another guy. Okay, he would do Elvis. I do Jerry Lee Lewis. We would do two hits like he would do Hound Dog and Blue Suede Shoes, and I would do Great Balls of Fire and Whole Lot of Shaking. Could you play you the know? piano? I, no. Okay. I couldn't play. I mean, I took piano lessons. I, you know, did I, my you, mom. Did you fake like you were we playing? We fake like you were playing pianos. <laughs> what we did was we did a lot of um, we did a lot of dance incorporated. So we did fifties. I'd brought a girl out. I'd swing dance, and then I would uh, lip sync, and we do this. And I'd act like I'm playing the piano. It was kind of a variety act. Okay. And incorporated with you know the the lip syncing was part of that. So, anyways, did that and you know at the time relating that to my drinking is is that I had a free drink tab. Oh, yeah. so I was able to drink for free and, it, and they paid ah. us a hundred bucks. I remember that. And eighteen was the age back then, right? Yeah, I don't remember. I I, I want to say it was twenty one in California. Okay. That was in California. Okay, so right. uh, I think it was twenty one. But you still get free drinks. They oh, weren't yeah. checking it. Well, back. they thought I they thought I was twenty one. Ah. Yeah, they were paying me cash. It was, you know. Okay, so. right. And then I went from there and went to another place called The Hop, yeah. which was owned by the um, Righteous Brothers. Really? Yeah. The Righteous Brothers, uh, um, Bill Medley opened up a place in Fountain Valley, California. It's basically Huntington Beach called The Hop. When Bobby Hatfield was still alive, uh, the other half of the Righteous Brothers, he was there and they would come in. And people would come from all over to go to this, this place. And it was people that were... My parents' age. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, I'm 20, yeah. 19, 18, 21, around there. And there's people coming in there that are 40, 45. They're my parents' age because they, they went to high school in the 50s and 60s. And so they, rec- they you know, they related to it. Right. So they paid us. That led to a 
Dick Clark. Um, well, you must have been very, I mean, you, you can't get into these shows and be introduced by the Wolfman and all that sort of stuff for a, on a consistent basis if you're not really good at what you're doing. So apparently you guys were fairly talented. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we were. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I thought we were. I, I, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, I'm really talented. How do you say that? But <laughs> I thought I was, and we were. And of course, you know, uh, the the, the Everly, the Everly, the Righteous Brothers show led to um, a guy that was a scout for Dick Clark. Uh, Dick Clark Productions opened did a show called Solid Gold Hits. Called what? Solid Gold. You Solid remember Gold. the original Solid Gold? Of yes. Course. Yeah. That was back seventies, eighties. Yeah. Well, Solid Gold in the early eighties, they started one called Solid Gold Hits, and it was an impersonation show. Okay. And so this guy found me through my agent, or whatever, and I did. An, I went and auditioned, and I did a Jerry Lee Lewis impersonation uh, uh, audition, mm-hmm. and 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 got on the show, and ended up winning. It was like a talent show, <laughs> really? kind of like an American Idol kind of yeah. America's Got Talent kind of thing. So. I went on there and did this. I remember I went up against Gladys Knight and the Pip. <laughs> so, no, not was it the no, real? No, no, of course somebody, not. Yeah, so yeah. it's an impersonation show. Right. So I went on there doing that, and I ended up winning um, uh, $500 and a gold record, which was kind of cool. The gold record's cool just for nostalgia, but to have a check written to you by Dick Clark, yeah. to me, was really, really Very cool. Thing. So, and then, uh, but anyways, that's that's a, kind of the beginning yeah. and... And uh, uh, a whole lot of drinking and yeah. and the beginning. Okay, of- so this is when the drinking started to pick up. So so you were 18, 19, right 20, in this area, yeah. right? What age did you start drinking? I was 14, 13, okay. 13. Okay. 13. And was it on a consistent basis? No. Okay. I, you know, junior high, weekends. Um, right. I was drinking on weekends at the wherever the kids go to hide and drink. Mm-hmm. And I was smoking some pot. Nothing too crazy. Was this all but, in California or oh, Texas? Yeah, everything in California. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right, so when did you make... So 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 take me a little bit forward here then. When did you make it to Texas and when did the drinking start to become more of a... As opposed to just fun, more of a uh, problem? I would say the drinking really got bad in uh, 1982. The end of 1982. Um, daily drinker for sure. Blackout drinker. Always got in trouble. In and out of jail. Um, a lot of tr- a lot of other trouble that was related to that regarding drugs and 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 doing some crazy stuff. I got sober, and so in- we can go off the path here a little bit. Okay, I, I know within uh, uh, AA we don't you know we're kind of like a singleness of purpose, but you know here at sober speaking, kind of a little bit more lax. So I'm assuming you were uh, into another arena there when you. Yeah, said- you know I I it, and I try and you know I'm glad you said that because I try and. Is, is I've had a trouble. I've had my own personal uh, challenges with staying on track with the single list of purpose. I mean. and, and so, but, you know, with this, you know, I got into drugs like a lot of guys. It was the 70s, right. 80s, Cal- early 80s and late 70s in California. Was it just using or were you dealing? Yeah, I, was, I started dealing in 1983 and get turned in. It, to me, it was, it, it started out as very innocent, make a little extra money, right. have, have people like me, that kind of thing. Right. And that turned into a little more than I really planned on. And um, I was uh, hanging out with some guys that were not real. Um, I say I'm hanging out with them. They're selling me cocaine. Uh, some Bolivian guys that I had met at a dance at a nightclub. <laughs> and, um, you know, one thing led to another. And I'm dealing cocaine for these guys. And I'm entertaining. And life is good. You right. know, I've got, 
you know, when you have cocaine in the 80s in California, in Southern California, and you're doing this entertaining stuff, I mean, you got a lot of friends. People kind of want to know you and, you know, and, and uh, probably more because of the cocaine than anything else. <laughs> but, uh, you, As, know. Uh, you know, I had Casey on a couple of weeks ago, and I know you oh, yeah. know him. And Casey said, I started hanging out, and I never heard it put this word, uh, a lower denomination of friends. Yeah. And I said, that's a good way to put it. Well, Casey, I think, is probably, he's probably the lowest you can get if you were to hang out with him. <laughs> but, um, uh, and I'm, this will give me reason for him to listen yeah. to this. Talk, yes, that's just right. To talk him out. Just we'll tell him his name is reference. You know? Casey's reference. Like, oh yeah, no, he's, I, I love him. And, and, uh, but yeah, I was just, I was just really an innocent guy. My parents were good people. Mm-hmm. They're still married today. They're both still alive. Hmm. And you know, Very what nice. a blessing that is, yeah. you know, but, my, How many um, years have they been married? They've now? been married fifty six yeah, years, that's a long you know, time. and so, uh, but you know that back then it was just started out that way, and 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 I think that's why I got sober so young is I had the help of you know now I can say I had the help of drugs and hitting a bottom earlier, yeah. but I really did have um, a strong desire to not live that way anymore, right. and that's what brought me to that desperation of being on my knees, you know. Right. Because I, even though I was raised, you know, I was raised in the church, going to Episcopal, I was Episcopalian and go to church a lot. And, um, you know, I believed in God. If you said, do you believe in God? I would say yes. But did I pray? No. Did I go to church? No. You know, the in these later years of, of um, right. drugs. Drug so time. did you have any sort of uh, conception of God coming into the program? Was it, were you neutral? Were you, uh, did you have some sort of angst you had to work over or what? I didn't. I didn't. I, you know, there's a reference in our book that talks about it's almost better to have no God, I'm paraphrasing, than to have a God that you are uncomfortable with or kind of an angst with, you know. And I didn't have that. You know, I definitely was not an agnostic, um, but I definitely did not uh, have a relationship Mm-hmm. With God, right, right, but you know. so you were kind of in a neutral place. Yeah, neutral know. would be right. great, good right. way, way to put it. Yeah. Okay, so you got here. Um, uh, and you it looks like you and it looks. Did you go to, to high school in the Dallas area? No, no. I you know I I got sober in California, and I was sober there for ten years before I moved here. Gotcha. So in 1995, I'd met a, a, a my ex-wife. I've been away from her for a while now, 11, 12 years. We, we met in California in 1994. She got pregnant in 95. We got married in 95. We moved to Texas. She has a big family, bigger family than me. I offered. I said, you know, if you want to, this is the first grandchild for both our families. But you got a bigger family. If you, you want to move to Texas, I'd be happy to do that. Gotcha. You know, I offered to do it. And I think, you know, she was, was I think, glad that I did. And I think she probably would have would have um, wanted to move here too. So we moved here in 95. She was pregnant six months. You know, we had the baby, our first daughter at Presby in Dallas. Yeah. And um, that's where my uh, so. daughter was born. Yeah. yeah. I was. So that's how you got here to Texas. Yeah. And so that was your, that, so, so you, how, talk to me then about kind of coming into your first meeting, how you made that that uh, that launch from non sobriety to sobriety did it stick the first time? Were you in and out? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think uh, I went during the early '84. My mother took me to some uh, some therapy. Uh, 
and she took me to I had some shock treatment light shock treatment at the time it so how I, you know well that's very interesting so let, let me talk about that a little bit shock treatment so it probably was not like we see from the 1950s films where they go in and it looks like they had a lobotomy coming out. Correct? Yeah. All right. Um, what, can Are you implying that you see something no. about me right <laughs> no, now? No, 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 not at all. That's what I mean because you're not like that at all. I know. I know. Uh, so what, can, for those, I, you know, uh, I don't meet a lot of people who have had any sort of shock therapy, right? So I'm interested in that. Tell, tell me about that experience, what it was like coming out of it. It's really terrible. I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's really, really bad. My mother took me to this doctor who actually did some uh, hypnotherapy on my father because my dad was a bad alcoholic. Okay. And, and by the way, when you went to the doctor, just so we know, what was the goal of the therapy and the doctor? What was going on? Cocaine abuse and alcoholism. Okay. And my mom took me there. I don't think there was really necessarily a look at oh, this kid is traumatized or has a past that is so uh, terrible that we need to address that. It was more alcohol, drugs, please help him. Gotcha. So, so you know. So it, it was a, uh, they were employing a methodology to hopefully help you with your alcoholism and your drug addiction, all with good intentions, I'm sure. And uh, the doctors were. So, yeah. but so go through the experience though. You know, I went in there and I talked to, I remember it was just a simple, uh, questionnaire what I was doing I told them and I think I think they may have done some hypnotherapy on me but I remember they did like uh, some light shock treatment and uh, I was actually talking to my mother about it recently reliving that it was very emotional and it, so just out of curiosity the, the physical part of that do they actually hook something yeah they do they do but it's it's um they do hook up wires and like they Electrodes used to. Electrodes or something. Yeah, like that. but it's nothing like what you would see, like you mentioned, the fifties or anything like that, right. where your body's shaking and right. you're there for. <laughs> it's a lot different than that. Now it's. Um, I remember it was emotional. I mean, I started crying. Oh really? I, I really was. Uh, it just never seemed right at all. Okay. Nothing about shock treatment at the time that it was happening or before or after seemed right at all. Okay. It never seemed right. It was a mistake. And you don't hear about it. These, I mean, nobody's doing that now. Nobody's doing shock treatment. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay, so, so... But it did cause an emotional wave within you. It did it tap did. into oh, touch it into your soul somehow there. Or your... Yeah, I think I it was more... Soul, but. It was, I think it was more... It was something... Uh, I, I think you're right. You absolutely did something because it brought up all these emotions... And it maybe maybe the emotions that I couldn't really identify then, okay. what I was feeling, maybe it was that, okay, I really do have a problem if I'm at the point of this happening. Right. You know, right. Uh, shock treatment is terrible. Right. And it's it's really such an archaic mo. Uh, it, it just like they're what are they what is the goal like they're going to shock the alcoholism out of your body right well, like we, we both know that that's not right. really going to happen. <laughs> well, you know? so that was the goal. Did it help? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that helped at all. Personally. Okay. Now, I mean, did, did I you stay quit? sober? That's what I mean. Did Not you after stay? that. No. Right. No. Okay. That didn't. So it didn't affect me um, to stay sober. Matter of fact, I remember thinking <laughs> of I, it did. You know, I think I, I don't want to get away from this feeling as soon as possible. Okay. This isn't like a feeling of hope. <laughs> okay. like, like you know, the shock oh, no. treatment is not set up to where you can go. Oh my God. I feel closer to God. Now I know people love me. You know? Oh, no. No, it was terrible. It was really, it was really, uh, 
you know, it was it was similar. So it dredged up feelings that you wanted to drown. Oh my god! Back to the alcohol. Please take me away from this. You know, that shock treatment was terrible, really bad. And (laughs) even as light as it was, it was, you know, um, it was emotional and terrible. My mom was really angry with the doctor, and she never took me back there again. Yeah, because she could see you going downhill. She could see that I was, you know, uh, it upset me. It didn't help. I wasn't going to open up and say. Oh my God! Please help me with my drugs and alcohol. It yeah. was like, get me out of here. Yeah, take away the pain, which I know how to do that. Right, alcohol and drugs. Okay, it's quick and easy. All right. So, how long was that before you actually ended up getting into Alcoholics Anonymous? About uh, a year. About a year. Okay. Yeah. So what happened? So take me through that year. Then I went through the. I went through. The tr- I, went through uh, um, I was uh, in pretty bad shape. I'd losing weight because of the cocaine. Always drinking. Um, you know, uh, really unhealthy. Uh, went into. My mother, uh, mom and dad wouldn't let me come to their house. They wouldn't even let me there. They said, like, you're a risk to the property. You're a risk to coming here. So, What do you mean you a know, risk to the well, property? Well, you know, it was... It, like you're going to steal yeah, stuff? Yeah, I could steal something. Right. Or okay. people were after me. And there was, I could have warrants. And, you know, <laughs> just, it's endless on what kind of risk I could be at the house. You know, so please don't come out. And she, yeah, she's a... Uh, so she actually saw me... Um, walking and she had a plan my mom was in Al-Anon before I got sober oh really okay. and, and so this was in the summer of 84 during the Olympics in LA uh-huh. and she took she uh, did she go me. there because of you by the way or was there any, was there other alcoholism around the family oh no no my dad is an alcoholic he's been sober though for a long time gotcha gotcha okay. grandpa died of alcoholism gotcha okay. and my aunt and uncle so your mom was there and yeah. she recognized these signs when they started to come oh, up oh yeah she knew okay. them way before yeah and, okay. and she just couldn't you know she'd already bailed me out of jail many times and a lot of things that happened up to that point in the summer of 84 and she happened to, she had a little plan for me but she was she found me somewhere and I remember she picked me opened the car and I got in she goes we're going to take a little drive. And I said, oh, okay. You know, I was like kind of glad, but not really. But I didn't have anywhere to really go in mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, I already lost my car and lost a bunch of stuff. And so I was really desperate. I remember getting in the car and she drove me to rehab, a place called Coastview Memorial. Residential treatment, like Betty Ford model, uh-huh. 30 days. You know, uh, at that time, it was people that were in there were usually in there for the roughly the same thing. You know, it was cocaine alcohol. Yeah. 80s California, you know. Yeah. And so I went in there. I was there for 30 days. I never really did anything. I, I wasn't on board with it at all. You just weren't ready. I wasn't ready as much as I was dying. Yeah. But I wasn't, I didn't have the desperation of a dying man, but I was dying. You know? Did you think you were powerless over alcohol or that you? No. Okay. I no. gotcha. No. So I got out of there and they said, do everything. And, and you were starting to talk about the Olympics a second ago. Is that, did I get you off track? Was that no, your, no, was no, that no, what you were going to say? My mom was working on the Olympic committee and uh, ah. she was busy with that. She took time to, you know, to get me, find me and take Gosh. me to treatment. And, you know, looking back on what I put them through yeah. and how it makes it easier to never complain if they ever ask for something. Yeah. I think back on those times right. and the t- things I put them through and to fly, you know, 5,000 miles to go visit them mm. is no problem, you know. Right. So she got me in there. And Did I you got, say 5,000 miles? Yeah, they live in Hawaii and I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think it's I, probably 5,000 miles. I was doing math on my head to California and I thought, well, wait a sec, I no, know. No, they're living in Hawaii. They've been in Hawaii since uh, 02 or 03, so they've been there quite a while. I, I, I'm guessing it's, I don't know, it's, maybe it's not 5,000, but I think it's probably, right. no, no, that, that's a long 5, way away. I don't know yeah. how far, I know it's eight hours, 
<laughs> eight hours from Dallas, so I don't know, it might be four. Well, if they hours. ever get to listen to this in Hawaii, aloha. Yeah, you know, aloha. it's exactly. interesting. I want to tell you this. I, I see some stats from Sober Speak every once in a while, and I can tell you that there's only uh, uh, nine states in the United States that this has not been uh, listened to in, and Hawaii is one of them. So hopefully we can break that we trend. Can break you can send it. this to uh, your parents. Yeah, definitely. That'll be good. We've got to fill all the states up. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So they took you to treatment. Yeah, she got you me treatment. You were on board. I was on board, stayed there 30 days, didn't try and leave, but I wasn't ready. I didn't do the things they had asked when I got out of there. Uh, I will say that a guy named Miles Evans showed up. He had a couple years sober. He was a friend. My mother had a girlfriend, and it was her brother, and he was sober in the program, and he was doing what good members of Alcoholics Anonymous do. He showed up there, heard that I was there, you know, reached out to me and said, my name's Miles, I'm in AA, if you need some help, I'm willing to help you, and, and you know, he's just doing service. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, that's great, you and know. once again, this was, your, I'm sorry, your mother's... My mom's friend's your brother. Your friend's you know, brother, okay, it, gotcha. It, to me, it, you know, it was a god. I mean, it was another god thing. I understand. I mean, come on, yeah. you know, yeah. the guy's shows up there at the end of the thing. Now, I wasn't ready and I wasn't willing, but here's what happened. The magic of him showing up, and here's what I think it's so great for me to learn, for everybody to learn as we get sober a long time, as we look back on the way things happen, right, how they came the step-by-step-by-step step step things that are formed through just a selfless act of him showing up there for me. Right. Raises, he, showed, you know, he introduced himself, gave me his number, and I didn't really call him. I, I wasn't ready. But the magic of that is, is that I was out on the street six months after that. I didn't get sober till later in December. From that summer until December, I was it was coming up with the end. And finally, on December 27th, I said, I'm done. God, if you're there, please help me. What helped me so much in the beginning, now I'm willing. God's removed the obsession. Mm-hmm. I called Miles. Mm-hmm. He was my guy. Right. I didn't know anyone else. Right. I said, Miles... What do you want me to do? I'm, I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do. And he said, I'll pick you up. And but it done. He took me to a meeting. That's been it. That's the beginning, the end. He sponsored me for years. And uh, he's he still with us? Oh, yeah. He's still sober. Still, you know, I speak with him, you know, a couple times a year. I visit him in Long Beach when I go to meetings. He's sober about 35, 36 years. Mm-hmm. And he's still doing the deal. But I think the value in that for people that are new is to think about um, when you're ready. I was able to re, to, to uh, kind of think back who who can help me now, mm-hmm. and that guy you know just he just planted that little seed. Mm-hmm. So knowing that he could help and he was willing to help, coupled with my willingness, and I had a thought that I, I've never done the program. Mm-hmm. I've been in rehab mm-hmm. and I'd gone to meetings before, but I'd never done the program. You got a twenty thousand dollar big book. Yeah, yeah, actually thirty, but yeah, but yeah it was thirty, <laughs> which is a thousand a day. Yeah, and so uh, I think that the the thought was was a gift from God, and that thought was that I never worked the steps. I never worked the program. I'd been in AA a little mm-hmm. bit. I gone to meetings. Mm-hmm. I went to rehab, mm-hmm. and we did, and it was a twelve step, you know, uh, based program. And uh, I never really did the program. And that helped me understand that. They gave me hope. Yeah. So maybe I can do this 
since I never really did it before, and I really never really gave it, applied myself. And that yeah. coupled with a guy that's sober going to meetings yeah. and just my sponsor, God, I'm good. Yeah. So, Isn't it yeah. interesting how we all have like a, a story of how we made it into the program and the little bits and pieces that went together, and you can go back, and like you said, you can look back. And see, wow, look at how that all came together. That is absolutely incredible. But in the time, you're just trying to keep the wolves at bay, so to speak. Yeah. And just try to stay sober a day at a time. So so you went to the meeting and you remember much about your first meeting? Anything particular? Oh, yeah, stand no, out? it was it was a huge it was a huge deal. I remember everything about it. We drove down to Newport Alano Club, um, in Newport Beach and it was a meeting and it was a big meeting and it was a you know 60 80 people i don't remember exactly but it was you know it was just a uh, i was willing to go to any length i was ready to take the steps and i would have done anything you told me to do but there was still this like image like i still felt like i had to look good on some level yeah. And which is, to me, is one of the most hilarious things that we can have because right. we're in AA. Right. How ironic. It's AA. <laughs> How do you look good right. in AA? Right. Or CA or any, 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 you know. And it's like when you walk into the room and you see somebody who you know <laughs> and you're all scared about it, you know. <laughs> and, I mean, well, what are they doing here? Yeah, right? what are they, you know, yeah. it's like the same. So I went to that meeting and I remember somehow I had some money on me mm-hmm. and I don't know where it came from because I was pretty broke but I remember the ba- they passed the basket and I put a $50 bill in the basket <laughs> thinking that would in 1983 that's a I remember putting a 50 so I was broke trust Junk. me but somebody gave me some money they owed me or something happened I had this wad of cash on me I remember putting a $50 bill in the basket and the guy that I was sitting next to said he knew I was new Mm-hmm. And he kind of saw, he, he was a wise guy, didn't really say much. And I remember he was sitting on the other side of my sponsor and he said, he said, you don't have to put that much in here. And that was kind of his humble way of saying, look, buddy, we don't it's need... It's not about the money. We don't need your You're money. not going to impress anybody. You're not going to impress us. cash, right? We got more money. <laughs> and this is a club that's, they have, literally people would bo- uh, ride their yachts up yeah, yeah. on one side. Right. So we had like homeless... <laughs> And we had people with yachts. Right. And everything uh, in, between. in between. So, uh, you know. Anyways, that was my first meeting. I've been going since. Um, you know, and it's been, it's been, you know, a great ride. But I had heard you tell a story once about being in a hotel. And, and so, you know, so it made me kind of think about, you know, the things that uh, people struggle with. And, you know, getting in here and... Uh, uh, I, I believe you said something about being at gunpoint, if I'm not mistaken. And so, can you go into that story a little bit? Because I, I thought that was very intriguing. Well, I was sober. Casey Walters held a gun to my head in a meeting. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, back to Casey. No, I I was I owed these guys some money, and, and it was a typical. You know, I didn't have any really. Intention. Was this from the the drug? Yeah, the, this is a drug. Stuff. Were they the Bolivian guys? Oh yeah, yeah. They were the Bolivian. This is, okay. this is Bolivian guys, yeah. and you know. Um, so note to self: don't don't deal with Bolivian guys. I don't guys know that it really matters. Nightclubs. Yeah, don't deal that with have that, cocaine. That, yeah, that, that would be a good thing to yeah. to start with. I, I don't know that it really matters what 
country they're from. I, right, I'm just but saying. I know you're, if you put the three together, if you right? Put the three together, it's probably yeah. a bad company. Yeah, 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 for sure. Just, just the, and, and you know, the main thing with that is that you want to make sure and pay them. You know, <laughs> that's that's really the main thing if you're going to do that. And it's not good to not pay them. And it's definitely not good to not pay them and then not communicate with them, okay. which is what I was doing. And but what happened was I got into a a, a, a robbery. I, I'd gotten I was given some money to go get some cocaine for a guy and. and I got followed, not knowing it, and uh, where I went, they didn't have cocaine in my guy's house where he lived. Never carried, never had any drugs there. He's he's not that stupid. <laughs> he had another whole other you know operation, whatever. Anyways, there was a lot of money that was in this uh, uh, house, and they ended up getting the money. The guy that robbed me, and uh, you know it was a scary situation. I got a gun pulled that night, and then um, I never once stopped and said, you know, maybe I need to rethink my life or maybe I need to stop doing what I'm doing I just kind of thought well, these guys are the ones that are crazy I mean mm-hmm. I'm not you know mm-hmm. and I wasn't crazy on that level but I was crazy to think and do what I was doing right. you know, to, to think and live the way I was living but so uh, a couple of weeks went by they grabbed they saw, found me and took me to a motel out in Paramount and it's uh, Paramount a city in California yeah it's a city in California they, they held me at gunpoint there and, and basically said you know um if you don't pay us, we're going to kill you. And then, you know, it was a lot of threats and that kind of stuff. And it was pretty scary. And, and, um, you know, the, I think the significance of that story is, is from the time that I left. And this is probably what I shared when you heard it before, maybe it was the time I left that, you know, and I'm scared. I don't, you know, I'm not a guy. I never carried guns. I never, never robbed anybody. Never did anything at gun, never had a gun, you know? (laughs) And so I wasn't that guy that was a kind of a hardcore dude, you know? So it was, when I got out of that motel room, you know, I was scared to death. And I remember thinking, God, you know, please help me get out of this thing. I thought they're going to kill me. I walked over to the to the uh, uh, payphone, And from the time I had left being in there for a couple days at gunpoint to a payphone, mm-hmm. that five or ten minutes, I had completely forgot about what had happened. Right. You know, we can't remember with sufficient force. That's correct. I couldn't remember that period. I blocked it out. And the reason I think that we don't want to think, remember with sufficient force what happened a day or even a week or, is that we want to blot that out and hopefully we can find a way to control and enjoy our drinking. Right. It's really the deal. Right. We want to continue that lifestyle. We want to do it, you know. Right. And so I called my buddy. I said, come over and please give me a ride. And he came out and got me. And we were on a run, you know, and, and, and there we go. So, you know, I was lucky to make it through that alive. And, um... Uh, I think they knew that I didn't have anything to do with the money disappearing and, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, so it was a, it was a challenging, it was a, it was a pivotal moment in my life for sure, but it didn't stop me from, you know, drinking. Okay, my friend, I'm going to turn a corner on you here a little bit. You get to be the first participant in a a wheel of fortune spinning topic thing that I have created here. Uh, it took me a long time, like, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, to create this <laughs> game, okay? And uh, so for you, what I'm going to ask you to do is to pick a, a do you want to talk about either a step or a topic? One of those two. Let's go step. You want to go step? Okay. So I need to go. So I'm on the uh, topic stream here. So let me go back to the uh, name sets is what they call this here. We're going to go to step. All right. So when, uh, so you can see this wheel that I have here. Yeah. You see, I'm going to spin this wheel 
and whatever step it lands on, I'm going to let you talk about. Oh, this okay? is cool. Yeah, kind of cool. Ready? Watch. And wow. It's actually spinning, folks, and it lands on step three. So <laughs> you get to talk about your experience with step three. I'm not really familiar with that. What is it? Can you read it to me? <laughs> so just for the folks who are listening at home who may not know what that is, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So... What was your experience, step three? You know, I, I, of course, it's changed a lot. In the beginning, um, it, it, aspects of it have changed. The step is the same. And, and, but I think in the beginning, it was a, really a, a solid commitment to trust and go on with the rest of the steps, you know. And, uh, you know, that's, that prayer, that third step prayer... Go ahead. Were you gonna... Yeah, yeah. So you said trust and go on with the rest of the steps. Yeah. I kind of go into that a little bit more, especially yeah. for those people. I mean, you know the steps. I know the steps. But for those folks who maybe don't know the steps as well, and they're listening to this, and they go, oh, what do you mean by that? Go on with the rest of the steps. So what, what, yeah, t- take I, me through that. I think for me, it's been a, 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 a solid, really a trust and a belief and a relationship and Everything that I can think of that has to do with this loving God, if I really trust him and believe in him and know that he's got my back and he's got nothing but good for me, then that's going to be, I don't know of a better foundation than to go on to the fourth step. But people struggle with that, don't they? In other words, when you say talk about giving your will into your life over to the care of God as you understand him... Those are words, but people hear them and it kind of freaks them out a little bit, right? Uh, they, they, they get scared. And the reason they get scared is, why do you think they get scared? Oh, think? I think it's based on, and it's right in our book too. I love what our book says. I love it. I can't possibly say it any better and I won't try. But I will say that the, their past experience with a God that they once knew, for example, Earl Hightower last night got in a plane crash. Mom, dad died. Daughter or sister died. He watched them die in front of him. He got to live. They died. His thing was, and I'm sharing his story, but it's a good yeah, thing. I to understand. Be, it's, you know, it, it was, how can I possibly believe in a God that would do this kind of horrific thing to my family? So the people that say, well, if, if, if God's going to take my family, what kind of God is that? You know, so I think there's a lot of... Uh, and if you God's know, in control, I turn on CNN or Fox News or whatever the right. case may be, and I'm watching those news programs, why, why is all this happening, right? Yeah, so, you know, the thing that we have in our program, which is, I would say, I, I'm going to say it's probably one of our most uh, attractive, uh, I don't know, attribute. It's so attractive to me. In the world we live in, especially today, to say, you get to pick the God, your own concept. You get to pick. God as you understand him. And there's no judgment on that. So it's not a Catholic God or a Christian God. It's not a Buddhist. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's not a Krishna, you know, or mm-hmm. in Allah. It, it's just, it's, 
you get to pick. So that gives people, lets them off the hook a little bit as far as what God that they, um, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to regulate or judge the God that you believe in. But I think, and, and I think what, one other thing that we have is that no matter uh, how small of a God that you might have, tiny, tiny, um, it's uh, sufficient for a start, like our book says. Right. It's sufficient for a start. Whatever you think. If you're willing to be willing to believe that there's something, then that's that's sufficient. And I think we need to push more of that you know, or, or, or share more of that. Right. We really do. You know. And like you said in the beginning, it's really a commitment to work the rest of the steps. It's the launching pad to say, okay, I'm going to do a fourth step. I'm going to do a fifth step. I'm going to go through the amends process. I know you only do it one, one step at a time, but it is the start of that. And it's a commitment to make that all happen. So just because I want to see how well this game works again, I'm now going to do you a topic, right? So I got 12 topics as well. Right? And so we're going to spin this here and see where it lands, Mr. Gary. You ready? Ready. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. We're spinning and it lands on Turning Point. So we may have already addressed this in some form or fashion, but anything you want to add or, you know, did you have some sort of specific uh, period of time or actually some some particular day and time where you could consider it your turning point or have you had many turning points throughout sobriety? Talk about what you would consider a turning point for you in sobriety. The number one turning point that I'll always have in my life, number one bar none, would be the turning point of getting on my knees of before that, prior to that, not being able to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. No power. I can't, con- I can't control it and I cannot stop drinking and doing cocaine getting on my knees asking god if you're there please help me and then from there on i have no i have no desire uh and the obsession has been removed that's the the number one turning point now the turning point of being willing to take the steps and how that's going to change me and how that's going to really keep me sober was another turning point it's like you know i've been given this gift now the obsession's gone but what am I going to do to keep it? You know, what am I going to do to to make sure this doesn't just go away? And, mm-hmm. and what if I woke up two weeks later and I feel like drinking? Right. You know, what am I going to do? So, you know, that was a turning point, that realization, um, which was um, actually between that was between uh, steps eight and nine. Right. When I was making my list and I went to share it. Ah, I could make that list, but going out and making pe- meeting people directly was, man, I didn't. That's a big deal, mm-hmm. and there's no wonder we have all these promises right after that. Now there's promises before, but the promises that come after the ninth step—that's where the real big freedom starts. And so uh, that was a huge turning point. Going, hey man, this might be. If I don't do this, I may not. I may not stay sober. Mm-hmm. Because I can't live with the weight, the heavy weight and the heavy burden of not making those things right. Right. And that stuff happened way before. I mean, if you go way before, I mean, biblical, I mean, it's just like way before Bill and Bob got together. <laughs> you go back and you make stuff right. And you and, and it's not about saying sorry. It's about changing and, and doing that, that deal. But the other turning point, the only other really turning point that comes to mind off the top of my head was I was about four years sober and I was really angry. And... Um, I felt like I was resting on my laurels. I didn't realize that then, but looking back, I was resting on my laurels. I really, 
wasn't I really was I was angry and I and I realized I I a really cool thing happened a guy a guy said hey we're going to this dance this AA dance and I was like oh god that sounds terrible like how do you go to a dance there's no booze you know well, I was four years sober yeah he goes yeah it's gonna be fun there's gonna be girls there and you know I was kind of excited okay there's girls there I'll go I'll go for that and he goes and there's gonna be a speaker there this guy Johnny H and I said oh you know I don't know really anything about him whatever I heard about him but you know some old guy no big deal Johnny Harris was you know he said some things when he told his story that really made I really related to and that really catapulted me into a program of really seeing the AA program within the AA program if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah. and then getting deep and I heard him say some things and one of the things this is I'm four years sober this is almost 30 years ago and I remember he said, when I get scared, I get mad at it. Fear for me is getting mad at mm-hmm. it when I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. And I understood that because that's how I was raised with my dad. Mm-hmm. When my dad was afraid, he got mad. And so I related so much to that. And I thought, right. God, what's underneath that? And, of course, all the anger stuff was I was just scared to death. Right. So I had to look at that and deal with that and inventory that. And, Very nice. and you yeah. know. And then work with others. Very and, nice. And, uh, so that would be a big turning point in my sobriety. Good. All right. Well, <clears throat> we're at the end of the time here. Is there anything else you want to add before I kind of uh, add some closing statements here? I, I've really enjoyed having you in here. This has been yeah. A thank you. Yeah. Really enjoyed no, it too. It flew by. Yeah. I hope it didn't drag for you. No, 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 no. <laughs> it did not drag for me at all. We're uh, 52 minutes into this, okay. believe it or not. We, we went over. I mean, that's all right. Do I owe you anything for that? No, no, you owe me nothing. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for being here, Gary. All right, so we welcome your thoughts and feedback. Please contact us at feedback at soberspeak.com or just go right to the webpage soberspeak.com and click on the contact us page. We do. As I said in the beginning, want to make this a dialogue. If you have any suggestions, thoughts, ideas, uh, topics you'd like me to cover, uh, just make sure that you uh, send those in. Um, we uh, invite you to share your experience, strength, and hope, and or provide suggestions or comments. I think I already said that. But anyway, thank you for your support in whatever form it comes, whether it's sharing the podcast with friends or just listening in as you are able. We realize we know only a little and I'm going to read from you from page 164 uh, on uh, page 164 of the big book to close us out abandon yourself to God as you understand God much like Gary was just talking about admit your faults to him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past give freely of what you find and join us We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works as you work it. Take care, friends.